this week on the Tough Roy podcast. It's all about the remaining quarterfinals. As we look at South Africa, France, Fiji, England, and Argentina, Wales, and what was one of the greatest weekends of rugby in the history of the game. Enjoy. Hello, welcome back to Top Roy Podcast. I'm pleased to announce got the usual man in the studio, Zachary Hutchinson and Harvey Pardra. How are we, boys? Doing very well, Tough. Doing very well. Well, all things considered, doing very well. You know, yeah. it wasn't a great weekend. Oh, sure. I'm doing absolutely excellent. So thanks for asking, Telfer. It's been a yeah, good to be back on the pod and you good just, to chat a bit of ruggers. You just can't yeah. win. Like, you know, Ireland lost. The England team you wanted to lose won. The England team you wanted to win in the cricket lost. It's just like you just can't you just can't. I don't know. It's just one of those weekends. I'm just glad Liverpool wasn't playing or else they'd probably get beat by Everton or something. But anyway, <laughs> we're here to yeah. chat about yeah, so obviously already we've got the Ireland New Zealand review up. Now we're gonna chat about the other three games. So on to those ones. Don't know why I did that, but um the other games were first of all, what is defined as the greatest test match in the history of rugby. I'll start that on, Shirley Boyce. And do we think a build that build is deserved? Greatest test match. I again, I think that line was thrown out a bit with Ireland, France, and Six Nations. Um, and again, I think it's similar. I think it was the greatest first half, but then it was drama second half. But definitely, the first half was the greatest first half of rugby potentially in the World Cup history. Yeah, I don't think you can. I mean, the pace they were going at in that first half. I think we said it till for half time. It was like. That that can't continue. That's ridiculous. And I think the only way you you complement a perfect. I don't think anyone. I don't think there's any robots out there that go at that pace for eighty minutes. Well, there are robots. They're not humans. Um. So the only way you make it the greatest test match ever is bit of drama, very very tight finish. And to me, that was. I mean, as as the prospecting opponent, yeah, not great. That was that was a hell of a test match. I would say that what defines it is the greatest test match of all time is um calling for a mark and then going for a scrum. <laughs> I think that defines it as the greatest test match of all time. I've never seen that. Tell sure do you know no? Is that fact? Yeah, well Rassi's come out and addressed the reasons for it and basically said when they last played France they barely got scrum. So they said, you know, a mark, can either kick it or, or scrum it, you know, two options. And they the got options there, the options there for a reason. So, you know, they took the scrum and physically imposed himself but yeah it was a crazy first half as you're saying and I do think it lives up to the, the greatest game because you had the free flowing back and forth and then you had the drama and then the intensity and the tightness because I as a rugby purist you know nine sixes with tight tense drama do it for me but the general audience that really lured everyone in so no I thought France started really well and obviously, South Africa responded with like a couple of, you know, just quick, quick out of nothing tries. And that's why it was like once France regained their feet, they'll be fine. And it was just more of a, you know, soccer punch basically. But as the second half drew on, the subs came on, you realized, yeah, South Africa really have played this brilliantly. So the first thing we've got to discuss is. The selection, he went with Reinach and LeBoc and left his two experienced halfbacks, Pollard and Faf, on the bench. First of all, that selection. To play that high-tempo game 
with your two young, well, I don't know, if they're not that young, but you know what I mean, your two you, you, more elusive type halfbacks, and then to bring on the experienced boys to close out the end. Absolute masterclass from Dean Abern Rassi. Yeah, I mean, but that's what well, I think we're starting to see that a bit more, even though just across rugby in general, actually bringing on those kind of cool, calm, collected heads to kind of see out a game. And to be honest, you could tell South Africa, they wanted that fast start. I think it was more, I think they realised that the French were going to come out firing. to home World Cup in the Stade de France. They're going to come out and, you know, they did. They scored the first try. So if anything, you kind of need that more of kind of um, attacking style of halfback pairing kind of to kind of counteract that and kind of meet kind of intensity with intensity. And I think that's probably what they went for. And then, you know, you bring on Paul Arden the kind of last 30, 20 minutes to, if you get a penalty in the halfway line, you know he's going to slot it over. And that's exactly what he did. So it's um it, it, it's an absolute masterclass, you know, to and I've been highly critical of the six two splits or the seven one splits throughout this World Cup. Sometimes I feel like they're doing it just for the sake of doing it. It's like we're gonna do seven one for the sake of doing seven one, other than actually like realizing is this the best kind of split to do, giving on the opposition. And you know, they went for a five three split and it worked absolutely perfectly. Even Valerudu came on, put in a shift. And, I um, think it's because you don't you like now we're not going to get onto obviously the preview we'll get onto that however be rare and to go in the preview I'm sure with England coming around the corner but you have no idea who's going to play in the semi final who's going to start what bench split they'll do in a World Cup semi final and they're the only team now that keep you guessing and have kept you guessing all through this whole cycle it's you have to admit he he put his whole neck on the line both of them in terms of selection, and it paid off big time. They they play what's in front of them, 100%, and they knew it was fast, free-flowing rugby, and Reinach and LeBoc can run, basically. <laughs> and they were both really quick, elusive in the early opener, and, uh, you know, as you say, it was try for try for try for try. And then... I think when it's tough, sorry, it's tough to put in there. But I think as well, though, like the try to try, kind of like, like fast-flowing kind of start to the game. I know that a lot of people have kind of We'll touch on it too. Like, what was the big moment in the game? But I think the biggest moment of the game came within the first 10 minutes. France score, they're going hard again. You know, Ramos nails the conversion from the touchline, and you think, oh my word, like the French are seriously up for this. You know, I'm kind of eating my words because I kind of last week I was saying, you know, can you really trust this French side? And they're going for the line again. And then Ibn Atzabeth pulls off this like. <laughs> I don't know well, that, what you well, want to call it, LeBron been... James, like masterclass type legal knockback. You know what I mean? Well, that's what the Fabian Galte has come out and said that that decision was a critical moment in the game that he wasn't one hundred percent sure on. But then he went on to say, "But you know, so many moments in the game, you can't put it down to one but thing." I think, but it, but he I was think, saying, but "How is it?" Like the, I put it down to that. I, I honestly, the whole game, the entire game rests on that moment. And then because the way the play up was set up afterwards, yeah, if, it was a, if, it was a guaranteed try. If if he knocks that forward, it's a yellow card, and France get awarded a penalty try. All of a sudden, France are fourteen points up, and South Africa with fourteen men. Like that is this. I know that people talk about the Chesley Kobe moment, and you know, he stopped two points. South Africa won by a point, but actually, honestly, that moment of just sheer brilliance, probably a bit of luck too. You know, I think he probably meant the illegal <laughs> knock on and ended up knocking it back. 
But I honestly think the whole entire game rests in that moment. You know, he yeah, stops, completely changes the momentum South Africa go and score, and then it becomes a proper test match. Just wanted to say that. No, and he was one that had the performance of all performances. I thought Jesse Creel had one of those, I am that man, Lucania am, sit back down. And again, with selection, bringing in Pollard, man in the box up to his game, bringing in Am. Jesse Creel says, you're not getting this 13 jersey bag. An absolute stormer, putting a lovely little grubber kick for Sheslin Colby. The the way South Africa managed the squad, I just think, is is absolutely incredible. But at the same time, as we discussed with New Zealand game, one moment, and then why are you starting? Why not start Faf and Pollard? Lebok missed a kick. You lost by a point. Should have started. Like it's. I think we're just at the level now, and we as we discussed across all games. I think one that sums it up, Zach. It'll be a nice one for you. Ireland beat South Africa. South Africa beat France. France beat New Zealand. New Zealand beat Ireland. Harvey, can you can does that confirm there's nothing between the top four sides? And if we play those quarterfinals next week, it could fall either way. Yeah, hundred percent. I think going into this tournament, you've obviously got two kind of wild cards. Just by the way, the draws have gone in England and Argentina going into the last four, but realistically the top four has always been France, South Africa, New Zealand and Ireland. So it's like, yeah, it's just unfortunate that you both met each other in the, in the quarterfinals, to be honest. And Harvey, any, any bottle or cracked under pressure, any of those tags, we've done the Ireland, we're not going to do it more in Ireland, but similar, I, I personally feel both Ireland and France, there was no ball, there was no cracking under pressure. It was just, elite level test match that was going to fall one way or the other. I don't think France balled that at all, Home World Cup and all that. No, not fans, at all. Whatever. You played a side that probably has the best hold over their 23-man squad I've ever seen. The way like they're just making a complete substitution of seven men before like the 52nd minute or something ridiculous. Bar, bar Vincent Cock. It's, like, it's ridiculous. But it works for them. And France put on a show and you like Zach said, extremely fast start. Stade de France was alive, and we were watching that going. This could be a killing, and then South Africa do what South Africa do best, and just put the Dowers to shame. And for Ireland, I know you've touched on it already, but it was a good performance. Like don't get me wrong, there was a few errors here and there. It probably wasn't the perfect performance, but I wouldn't say it was a bottle job. I think it's just a tough opposition, a really tough opposition, and look. If I could tilt on one side, I would say France had a better performance. And I reckon Ireland had more in the tank on the day. For me, France almost put everything out there. I can't really think of a bad player in that French team from last night. But it's South Africa. The the equip ratings were quite amusing because they're a bit harsh. And I'm sure if they got a last-minute kick, a lot of those fours would have turned into eights very quickly. But... No, we want to no, talk no, on no fours at all. It's ridiculous. We want to talk on those moments. Obviously, the Sheslin Colby charge down is getting so much airtime online at the minute as the moment, which is weird when it was only the, just after the first quarter. That's about is the moment, but you know, anyway. No, but, but it's because of the, the unusuality. It's a bit like what you said with calling the mark and then go for the scrum. You don't see this very often, particularly level rugby. And to see and the desire, the want, the. Did you see him after? He was gassed, like genuinely gassed. Like he just did a 30-meter sprint, basically, and like so, as fast as he possibly could. On that note, 30-meter sprint, 
Jez and Colby's cousin is the world champion 400 meter runner, whose name I cannot pronounce, Wade Van Niekirk. Didn't know that. Saw it on Twitter. There you go. They both play rugby together. And Zach, as a, as a four, well, you weren't really 400, were you? As an 800 meter runner, you were, these are the boys, you, those are the boys you looked up to, too. Yeah, so that's true. No, but yeah, that, <laughs> I, I think it wasn't the Shesna Colby moment. It was what that, the symbolic nature of what he did sums yeah. up South Africa. Like, but no they clearly, one but it's it just like, it's just, you know, South Africa just do their homework so, so well. You know, you have to credit the entire coaching team, the way that they like... set up the 5 3 split, the even calling the mark. Like, they didn't just, obviously, part of it was probably psychological edge. But at the same time, they realise that they have an advantage in the scrum and you take your chances. And another example is they're watching Ramos realising this guy takes a long time to kick that ball when he starts moving and we probably have one of the fastest players in world rugby at the moment. So, and they'll know that it could come down to a point and it did. There's absolutely no doubt that there was homework done on his steps because he takes like a little shimmy and then he goes and then Colby was gone. And Harvey, you you were wanting wide angles and stuff. The wide angles have come out, and he was absolutely chiseling timed it to absolute perfection. Yeah, I know. I had no doubt that he had timed to perfection. I just wanted to watch it again, but like not just see him last minute dive into into frame. I just wanted to see it from the start. No, but as you as you say, part of it though, obviously the bench played the big role, and France went six two. And I feel a lot of teams get lured into going six two against South Africa. Again, not gonna get on to it until midweek, but we'll see what England do. And they went for it, but it was interesting that the go like South Africa's pack had more impact going five for Isaac than they did seven one against Ireland. And the big one obviously was taken off Khaleesi, forty five minutes. Who does that? Inspirational leader comes in off of forty five and he's got no problem high five and hugging everyone. Saying Quagga, go on, mate, do your thing. And he did. <laughs> but there'll be no hard feelings. Yeah, Quagga's not going to be like, oh man, I should be starting ahead of Khaleesi. They all know the rules. Yeah, they yeah. genuinely do. Genuinely do. You got a got a hybrid hooker back rower coming on who's just like an absolute jackal threat and just all over the gaff. It's low. It, it's just, they just innovate. I think we watched this South Africa side for the last few years and it's always been, we don't want them to win because they're boring as heck. It's just the same stuff, physical rugby. That was not boring physical rugby. They don't get me wrong; have absolute monsters in that team. Just seeing Snyman gives me nightmares. But like, they've also got probably two of the quickest wingers in world rugby's history, let alone world rugby right now, and an absolute mental nine who could just come off the bench and fly his little surfer hair everywhere like a madman. Like it's it, it it's just such a unique side. It's such a unique side, and they just embrace it. And it's actually, I don't know, although they're going to be our opponents coming up, like, I kind of warm to them watching that match. It's weird. Really weird. Yeah, they thrive in the pressured environments. And Zach, as we said, the New Zealand game, big game players come up on the big nights. They needed a try. Edinets or Beth as well. Again, lovely little set-piece move. Homework, brilliant. Delivers just powerful. Definitely picks out Jelly Bear, I want you, son. Straight over the top, boom fat, and that that's a big game player. And the likes of Pollard then coming off the bench, barely playing any rugby bit since May, knocking over the from the half eye line, knows his role. Come on, last 20, hit a big goal, no problem. So now it's brilliant. And I, I just want to touch on France before we've said they played such lovely rugby. 
is it very much this team's this team is young, this team will only get better, you know. Next Anton Dupont, he's gonna be capped the next World Cup, he's only gonna be 30. There's there's no problems. And the one player you did miss, I know Jalibert was good, but when the crunch came on, that skewed kick, again we talk about it, it can be unbelievable. But when the pressure cooker comes on, someone like Antimac would have been would have I thought personally think would have thrived in that environment. And you've seen his loss then there at the weekend. Yeah, you did. I think a few people on Twitter were pointing that out as well. But as much as in some ways an Antimac injury helped France because there was no longer that kind of like media circus of who does he start, what combinations does he play, you know, kind of got rid of that. But at the same time you are right, self he is a magic He's a magic man. You know, he's a boat and bar of the Northern Hemisphere. He can turn up with the goods. You know, we've seen it time and time again. Remember that new, the kind of one, probably the most famous one, the one that comes to mind is the New Zealand, you know, playing it from his in goal area and France go down the pitch and score. He just, he's he's got that cap- capability with him. So they did miss that just calm head. Even, you know, you know, even though it's obviously like a lot of maturity for someone who is still quite young in a professional sense, um, they did they did miss that. Like it was a bad kick. Like that is one of the worst kicks I've ever seen. Like it went backwards. Like that's how bad it was. All sucked all the energy, momentum, needing more scores. It did, and it, those games are just won in that final quarter. They're gonna be tight. Um, it's probably and... like I look at it. It's probably the one real mistake that kind of happened throughout the game. I think it's nearly the one mistake Jalibert's made all tournament. You know, but it's kind day. of similar. It's a similar narrative to Ireland almost. It's kind of like perfect, perfect, perfect. They were perfect in that game against New Zealand. Um, but when it really matters, proper knockout rugby, not cold-state rugby, knockout rugby, they just couldn't, couldn't turn up with the goods. Simple as that. No, it's I, I do make sure tournament rugby, though, it's, it's incredibly unforgiving. One thing can literally be the difference between you winning the World Cup and going out in the quarters. It's that tight. I think it's what I respect. The second half, like they did, the 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 momentum did get sucked out, and the calls when Ramsey then came through on the bench, and he done it. But French will learn, and I think France will go into the next World Cup. Big big favourites, no doubt about that. But again, just. Culture comes through. Those boys literally won the World Cup four years ago and they're ready. But yeah, on to their opponents that they'll be meeting. England got the job done against Fiji. A lot of publicity around it about Fiji and potential stock. And it never really did. I honestly don't think that it felt like there was going to be a shot. Obviously, Fiji came in two quick tries out of absolutely nowhere. Hello, here we go. And then England turned it around and Zach you might struggle with this as your Twitter was showing if you want to read down that tweet in a bit but England against Wales when they got like 90 men sent off with Farrell and everyone else and all the yellow cards came for adversity Samoa England came for adversity I know these aren't coming up for adversity as proper sides but England have been down late and have shown adversity they went up there Farrell said hit me in the pocket Put the dropy over. There's something about this England side that have some grit in them, and they have a lot, a lot of praise, Harvey, and that that is a bit of praise. Yeah, I'm actually kind of in awe of the fact that I've just heard a compliment from us to tell for about England rugby, but um, 
No, yeah, I think you, you summed it up well. Although the scoreline suggests that there was a... Look, they were always going to get a purple patch and I was quietly nervous the whole time about it because I just know what Fiji are like. The real teller and the thing I think even six weeks ago, two, three months ago, whatever, we might have crumbled at that point. In fact, we did. It's because it's... You know, we, we stepped back in. Farrell took the leadership. Him being that sole 10, I think, makes a huge difference. And that's no discredit to Ford. I just think the plays, the we looked so much more in sync in possession, like particularly in the first half, where the the there was no like the, the biggest problem for England's been over the last year or so is how disjointed we look in attack. Like there's no set plays, there's no runners, it's all mistimed, there's handling errors galore. There was none of that. It was the combinations were working. We were finding the space. And if it wasn't for just a few better, you know, falls of the ball, we could have scored a hell of a lot more tries. And, you know, so also I contribute a little bit to how much of the wars Marcus Smith went through. I feel for him, honestly, like that. He wanted a test at 15. That was a test at 15. And I think he actually did well. But whether he'll still be in there for this weekend is another question, because I don't think he's got half of his cheekbones and his face bones left in general, to be honest, after that one. Um but yeah, there could have been so much more. But we, like you said, we were in control, um, racking up the scorecard after, like we needed to after a couple of early tries. And yeah, bar a little purple patch for Fiji, it was it was business as usual, to be honest. And then obviously Fiji, in the final plays of the game, they tried try to won the game. So it was like all the other ones. It came down to the wire. But do you, do you get the point, Zach? That didn't feel as much of a wire job as the no, other test. Kind of... No scoreline and... Final play of the game, it was, well, Argentina actually weren't the final play of the game, but you know what I mean? It was it was up there in terms of going down yeah. to the wire. You kind of felt like it was different. The Argentina game, you kind of always thought it was neck and neck. Either team could win this, whereas with England-Fiji, you just kind of thought Fiji were just chasing the game constantly. They just You felt like they didn't have the ball to, to, to kind of like have a clincher moment, and England did. You know, and in England, to be fair to them, tell like you're right, you know, Harvey, you're right, like they actually did show that adversity. Yes, this is against you know, uh, top of the tier two sides, you know, bottom of the tier one sides. I don't know how you want to define Fiji that's as a bottom itself, but you know, in some ways, it's going to be obviously very different against South Africa. But you know, we were saying it on the other pod there, the Ireland pod, like you just got to play what's in front of you. And that's all that's all that England can do. It's all that England have done. And in some ways you have to kind of respect them for it. You also got to respect Borthwick. He made massive calls. You know, you can't take this Fiji team lightly. They did prove that. Fiji did prove that you can't just, you know, it wasn't the, the quarterfinal wasn't a gimme and they pushed England all the way, even though they were chasing and they never thought like they were gonna quite win it. You know, putting Marcus Smith at fifteen is genius. Um, even back in the like say Elliot Daly on the wing, Harvey, obviously you're not the biggest uh Fan of. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but no, Borthers. Um, I mean, he's got the got the balls to back himself and England. Only, England, however, the only unbeaten side left in the competition, and you're not still not bouncing into semi final full of confidence. Unbeaten well, lad. Yeah, I mean, we're playing South Africa. That's probably why. And we've got history, not great history against South Africa, so it's tough. And and like Zach kind of alluded to there, we've we've won every game. But we've just done what we needed to do to win. I mean, Chile's easy to batter, like anyone will batter Chile. But even the Argentina game, it was, you know, it was building a score. It wasn't what I would call an emphatic victory. It was a good victory. We needed it at the time, but it wasn't like a, oh, hello, England are here. It was it was a good win. 
Um, Samoa was obviously a tough, tough test, and we managed to get through it. Chile was what it needed to be, and Japan was probably what it needed to be as well, to be honest. Like, there was tough times in that match as well. Um, so that's probably why, because we don't we don't look like we've gone above and beyond. And I feel like everyone thinks that we need to go above and beyond to kind of get to that South Africa, France, Ireland, New Zealand level to then compete. But if all we've ever done is play what's in front of us, it's so hard to gauge. We could go out and score, concede three tries in 10 minutes. We could go out and have a tight game where we're still within a score at half time. Is, is there any frustration that England didn't blow Fiji away? Because you look at South Africa and they had to go to the well. If England could have just wrapped that up, easy win type job, and just have taken a few, make a few changes second half, but they went had to go to the wire, had to go to the well, like the other teams, and maybe then they lose that advantage of being fresher. For it's a, at the end of the day, it's a rugby, it's a rugby World Cup quarter final. It's never gonna just be a walkover. Like they don't happen that often, and when they do, it's big mismatches. For me. It's an attritional game now till the final. It will always be. Um, if we could have cherry-picked that, it would have been lovely, but we didn't. I still think we're probably in a much better physical condition than South Africa right now, particularly playing a day earlier. Well, a few hours earlier, should I say. Um, definitely helps. But, yeah, no, I think... Yeah, just bring them on, man. Just bring them on. There's not so more to not, say. We're not, like, we're, it's, not, it's, yeah, yeah. we're not actually getting on to preview stuff that'll come when we have team news and stuff, but, yeah. So, Zach, you have, to, you have to give credit where it's due. England got the job done, didn't look too concerned. And we, a common theme as we're getting along to is magic men turn up on the big nights. And I wouldn't put Olaf Harrell in the magic man category, but he had that performance that you need of just... The answer, a- is, the answer is critics in the stadium. You know, it, it baffles me that they were booing him, you know, in the, in the build-up. And I'm not talking like, you know, random Argentines who stuck around from the night before. Like, we're talking like England fans. <laughs> like, Budo and Farrell. I'm kind of like, as much, I have a love-hate relationship with Farrell, but time and time again, in the biggest moments, he proves that he's the man for the job. He's the He proves that he's the man that can deliver. You know, whether it's in an England shirt, whether it's a Lions shirt, whether it's in a Saturday shirt, he just delivers. He steps up. Yeah, and Courtney Law is another one that just constantly finds him place over the ball. And like England have enough big players to mix it next on Saturday. So yeah. But I'm just touching on Fiji then, guys. Did World Rugby need this World Cup by Fiji? It sounds like they're gonna be entering the rugby championship now. They're gonna go from strength to strength. They're gonna kick on. Is this is this what World Rugby needed? Because you know, if you look back when Argentina entered the rugby championship in another semi-final. There's no reason why Fiji can't be making consistent knockouts and more well, times than not, yeah. you'll see a shock team like Scotland not in the knockouts. Scotland, yeah, Australia, no. two of them now. Yeah, no, no Scotland, no Australia. I think the only thing is, my concern is that every other Pacific island gets left behind, that the sole focus becomes Fiji. They either get only... left behind or they get dragged up with them. It's... Yeah, it's well, that'll be the that'll be the argument. The former, the latter, that'll be the argument. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. But that's a problem itself. Yeah, no, no, a big shout out to Fiji and the emotion that that squad went through and to go to the well and be in with him for chance of a semi final spot in the last minute of the game, fair play. So, and yeah, then on to the final game. Well, it wasn't the final, it was the first game, and some would argue underrated as one of the best of the weekend. 
definitely again in the mix. And again, on the big nose, the big players have to step <laughs> up. Buffelli banging them over for 55, that type of vibe, you know, that's what I mean. Sanchez, over 100 caps coming on, grabbing an intercept, running in under the sticks. What is it with big game players? Like, do, I know it's the constant theme here, but do you just have it in you? Or is it something that can be developed? think you have to you have to thrive under those scenarios don't they some people it's the classic some people shy away some people embrace it and i think you just have to have enough people particularly influential players in your team the spy and that sort of thing who who embrace it rather than shy away the decision makers you need those guys to to want to take chances to play their just play their game play the scenario you know sometimes people go up and i think argentina are a prime side of it they go up a level when they're playing the big games it's not like they shy away. They literally get better. They're not yeah, as good in Cheka, these running all matches. Cheka said after the game that they World Cups, he said, are all about the draw and tailoring your preparation to the draw. And he's basically saying that they went very light in training before the England game. They didn't like, they didn't target that England game and put everything into it. They just went not through the motions, but they went light in training, whatever that means. They went light in training, Zach. And then they've kicked on since, and you've seen them get better and better as the tournament's now progressed. Look, you know, still not overly convincing the group, but that, the way they finished against Japan, you know, Mateo Carreras was like, I'm the man against them, and then pushing in it into the Wales game and always being, in, always being within touch of Wales and then having the killer moments when it mattered. Is there something that about Cheka? in terms of his ability to pierce that side, do you, re- do you read anything into that? Or is that him just trying to play mind games a bit and maybe make people think Arjun are more clever than they are? And the reality is, it was an easy draw. I think you have to it's it, you have to know your squad. Czech has built a relationship with this team and he knows them. He knows what they get, what gets them up. He knows what like motivates them. And he's played to their strengths. You have to rate it. Don't get me wrong. Wrong. The draw probably is favourable to them. Could have easily been kind of that third favourite in the group, but they weren't. They got a pretty good draw. Um, you know, but like, still, you play it. Argentina, like Argentina are the bottom half of the tier one sides. You know, there's no doubt about it. They're form over the past and couple years. Zach, 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 just before you go into that, you're doing that again. Where you're, you're being disrespectful to a team. I'm not, that no, 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 I'm not being disrespectful. What do they have to do? This is the third time they're in the Rugby World Cup semi-final, and you're saying they're not a, a top, top nation. They've beaten New Zealand. What, what, like, what do they have to do to gain respect for you? I know they finished bottom. Do, do, do they have gained respect? They, no, they have my respect. I'm just putting it. I'm trying to back check it here by saying <laughs> <laughs> he's look. He's clearly looking at that England game, being like it's going to be highly attritional. Like man to man on paper, England are a better sides. You know, you have to, in some ways it's a different mentality compared to an England or an Ireland or New Zealand or South Africa, especially the top four sides where you have to you're going in to win every game. So I totally get him. Also, like Czech is a world class coach. Like that's not that's not like beat around the bush here. He's a European Cup winning coach. Um, you know, he's kind of him and Joe Smith and stuff have been they completely turned, you know, Leinster completely around. You would argue, and you know he's turning Argentina. He's taking Argentina rugby to the next level, because I would probably argue that this team is not as good as the team in twenty fifteen. But yeah, 
here they are, another semi-final. You go to, you know, obviously the draw helps, but serious respect. But then again, it could have been so different if Zama went over in the corner. Yeah, again, that would have been the magic man stepping up. But before that, does he, the introduction of Rio Dyer just just brought a bit of zoom to that attack. And then obviously they had the moment and there's been our I don't know your opinion on it. Obviously Zama dies for the corner and then gets smashed into touch. Some people are being a bit critical saying, oh, we left it stay, but he's put everything. He's exposed his ribcage. He's willing to die to put the ball down. And the Argentinian guy's also ready to die for the ball down. And I think because he came so close, it made it look closer. Like an ordinary player might have just got smashed into touch. Yeah, no, I think that's a position where you have to go, whatever you decide to do, whatever it is, you go into it 100% committed. And he was, there is absolutely no doubt, you cannot doubt, no one can, that he was not committed to doing everything he possibly could to try and get that ball in the corner. And look, sometimes it doesn't work out. It was a hell of a hit, hell of a hit. I've seen much softer tackles in that scenario where it doesn't quite give the man enough momentum and they can just still get the arm reach around. That was a that was a hit. Like they were both at that. You can't step him though. You can't have the hindsight of looking back at it. Cause I'm pretty sure there was a covering man anyway. So it's like you step yeah. him and then you just get punched into touch anyway. And you've not even then had an attempt at the try line. So you look like I'm even more of an idiot. Like it sometimes is. it's just set up like that where he's got a couple yards on you. You don't really have any other decision. You just have to go for it. And look, I, I, I was chatting to a Wales fan today and he said the exact same thing. You, you don't, there's nothing he could have done. It's a it's an unfortunate scenario, but it's a scenario that happened. But if you've got to realise it, it still is the magic moment. You know, as much as we talk about, oh, it could have been the magic moment. It is the magic moment. That piece of defending. We talk about Zama putting his body on the line. You know, what about the other way around? You know, like defender, that guy is like textbook defending. If you're a, if you're a young kid, you're playing rugby at school, in junior rugby or whatever, like that is proper commitment. That is everything within the realm, like within the realm of the the laws of rugby to ensure that Zama doesn't get that ball down. It's serious. Like for me, that is the magic moment of the match. That is the moment of the match. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, and the, and Wales did have control of the game for a long time. Dan Bigger getting early score and stuff, and like we've lost just like that. Bigger and Sexton to the game. Like it's amazing in a World Cup, just like that. Two internationals go. So thank you, girls. That's what we forget. Sport yeah, is girl. harsh, mate. It's not romantic it's as brutal. much as we'd love it to be. Sport is brutal. And there's one image that will always stay in my mind, and it's Johnny Sexton's quivering bottom lip. Oh, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was yeah, brilliant. That. He didn't mean that. He didn't. <laughs> it reminded me of like a 10 year old child's like no I'm not sad leave me alone I'm not crying you're crying <laughs> <laughs> what what do you say in terms of the Welsh camp real promise it was looking good and young player Jack Morgan coming to, into his own and then just ends like that was it looking good say? though they were written off before yeah. the tournament they had an alright group stage and then they got battered in the quarter final like well, they had their biggest win against Australia, obviously. Like Australia sides, <laughs> seriously. An Australia side that didn't qualify for the knockouts. Like, like they still... no, it felt very much the quarterfinal was have has things turned around yet or not, and it just seemed that Gatlin just ran out of time. 
Because when the crunch came, they didn't have their, as we've discussed before, they didn't have their Nicolas Sanchez coming on, their Hondra Pollard coming on. The common theme is just absolute winners coming off the bench to kill it out. And they didn't quite have those because their squad had didn't have the depth, say, of an, of an Argentina. So I do think, though, if they did manage to turn it, putting a big win against Argentina, then it would have been, it's, it's the margins, it would have been a really successful World Cup. And they beat Fiji, you know what I mean? And England beat Fiji more convincingly than Wales did. So you got to say, if you're comparing them to England, both sides in turmoil, looks like England have been more convincing. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say. I think my interpretation is that I think a lot of Welsh pundits, you know, Jimmy Roberts coming out after the game being, he's put a smile back into Welsh rugby. And that's definitely true. You know, I think obviously both England and Wales have serious off the pitch pitch issues in their own rights, um, their own problems, that serious problems that they have to deal with. Um, so in some ways, they have kind of put that feel-good factor back in, kind of a bit of national pride, because, you know, rugby is the national sport for Wales as well. Like, So I think they've kind of brought that national pride back, but it's still been a disappointing World Cup. I think when they looked at the draw, when they looked at maybe how they, they beat Fiji, they beat Australia, they were looking at this Argentina side, which wasn't as good as previous Argentina sides. They were probably thinking World Cup or World Cup semi. So I think it is still a disappointment. But at the same time, this Wales team will get, come back. Jack Morgan is one hell of a player, future Lions captain. You know, yeah, the fact you just got Loki, arguable future Lions captain, is shows that Gats gets fine. And interesting, Gats seems to got the the buzz and the love back and wants to be there and continue to build. So there is a positive spin on Wales, but at the same time, Argentina in a quarterfinal. But that's why I wanted to make it more Argentina based because, as you see with my slight rant to Zach, it's a squad, it's a team that just. What do they have to do to gain a bit of respect as one of the top top rugby nations? They have to be consistent. They're not consistent. It's free, it's free World Cup. What's that? 07, 07 semi-final, 11 quarter-final, 15 semi-final, out in the group stage, 19 points back to a semi-final. That's... I think it's That's because, good. like Zach said, they're, though, it, they're almost yeah, they're almost the argument against the big moments team in the sense that they're just not consistent enough year on year. Like and the world rankings have probably proved that. I don't think they've ever endangered being in the top three or anything like that. Whereas we're talking to I like them in major tournaments like they're a top three, top four side. And they clearly have it in them. They can like you said, they've scalped some big teams and they've always got it in them. They've got some real, real talent, but they have think- to do it every single month, every single tournament, every single year. Like it, it's a you've got to keep you've got to keep building. You've seen a lot of clips after, like of Khaleesi given like Creel a big hug in the change room and be like you're the man and stuff. And then there was clips of the New Zealand coaching box all patting each other back and big hugs. And do you think Argentina have a bit of that too? That they've got that emotional energy, the country, the fans. They're a special nation that when big tournaments come on, they can channel energy. It's yep. it's very deep spiritual stuff, I know, but there's you know serious I mean? national you can't pride. Just keep saying, as I keep saying, you can't just yeah. keep saying that. Ah, it's a final. They're not that good. They have okay. special energy. I found this on the country. web for their serious national pride. Bit of editing involved there. 
I don't know what happened then. What the heck? <laughs> it just came up, Siri. Someone Can triggered I... Siri. Oh, yeah, it's yourself. Sorry. Sorry. I don't know what happened there. National Pride, something like that. But yeah, it's just a new thing. They've got a special DNA. 100%. I think, and you can see it actually, if you look across the top four, look, so there's been a lot of flack against New Zealand and they probably charged that into themselves. They're the, I write us off, do what you want, playing the world number ones and they go beat you. England, Borthwick's clearly trying to cultivate this whole, it's us against the media, it's us against everyone. We'll try and, you know, write us off again a day, lads. It's one of them, like he's trying to charge up the players. And I think Ireland going into that game, it was like, right, we're world number ones. We've never got past the cause. We've got an opportunity to do it here against a team that we've been quite often recently. Uh, and then that was it. And it's like, and it feels like that that charge is quite a commonality across the whole top four. I think now, top four. Do you like that? Top four. <laughs> top four <laughs> in the rankings, maybe. <laughs> Last four, should I say? Yeah. But no, I think yeah, you you are right. They tell South Africa pat in the backs. It's it's scary because it's the exact same mannerisms and demeanors that we've seen in 2019. And trust me, when they start getting up and crying at the national anthems and stuff, it's just oh, God. to be fair. Yeah, but, like, yeah, everyone when, they, yeah. but then... when they demolish New Zealand at Twickenham, I think well, all of us certainly. I remember just chatting on the pod, being like, "Here, you know a team we haven't talked about that could potentially win this thing is South Africa." And one hundred percent. They went into this World Cup thinking they're going to win it. And, oh, it's hard to look past them now. But no, the quarterfinals was all, as we keep saying, done on fine margins. And whether it be Leary Zam at the corner, whether it be Jordy Barrett's spy holding up, Ronan Kelleher, whether, whether it be Etzerbeth's big long arm or Colby's charge down, or see if the Fiji one, they didn't, they didn't get to the line for that winning score, but maybe couple of Fiji kicks or something or extra time but yeah England South Africa Argentina and New Zealand it is boys Um, we'll jump on later in the week and preview that but I think we can all say that's the greatest round of the World Cup quarterfinals ever yep I think so thanks Dov to anyone that's made this far in the podcast follow, follow us on all our platforms Spotify at Top Boy Podcast, Twitter at Tell, Instagram Top Boy Podcast, even on TikTok nowadays, we're everywhere at Tell for Rugby. So please follow us everywhere and we'll catch you next week. 